yes, another episode of Keo Conversations. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it is my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today, I'm chatting with Scott, who is an executive, entrepreneur, author, and investor, and my favorite all-around product obsessive. He currently serves as Adobe's chief product officer and executive vice president of their creative cloud division. Scott's passion is to make the creative world more productive, connected, and adaptive to new technologies. He's just an awesome individual with a huge heart, super smart, and he's got some really, really great mental fitness practices. So enjoy this conversation. If you are enjoying these conversations, please do give us a little love wherever you're listening. The reviews, stars, they do go a long way. And lastly, this episode and the whole podcast is really brought to you by Keo, which is our daily mental fitness app. All of these incredible guests end up in-app to help guide you through your mental fitness. Take it for a spin. It's in the Apple App Store. All you have to search is K-Y-O. Thank you, as always, and have the absolute best day yet. So Scott, who are you or what defines you? Well, I think I am, you know, I think that I try to find things that are genuinely interesting to me and uh, that sort of sustain my curiosity. I try to always take as much initiative in those things as possible. And um, that's kind of, you know, at the high points of my career, that's what I've been doing. The low points of my career, I've gone off that model and have had to recalibrate. Hmm. Interesting. How, so how did you, I mean, we'll dive right into it from, from that response, but how did you get to the point where you realize that you're off that, that let, let's call it routine or that, that, that calibration, let's say. Well, I think the, the hints to me are that I am, I'm starting to feel like I'm not being fully utilized. And, you know, I think I've kind of realized that, um, my happiness requires me to feel like I'm feeling fully utilized. And that's not only in a professional sense. I think it's also in a personal sense. You want to feel like your skills are being put to the test and, and being stretched and being appreciated. And, and, uh, you know, at times where I've decided, for example, to be a full-time investor and, uh, and didn't realize until after I stopped leading teams and building products and working for creative uh, people, like that's always kind of been my interest is growing products for creative people. I felt like, oh, you know, something's off, something's wrong. And, and I think that's kind of, um, you know, that's an example of where I've realized I have to get back on some path of feeling fully utilized again. Okay. One of the things I got from just listening to various interviews, uh, and, and with different interview hosts with, or I should say different styles, right? All the way from Gary Vee to Tim Ferriss and Chase Jarvis, all di- very different types of interviews. Uh, and the th- like two main themes came up for me when, when listening, and I've been following your work for a while as, as well. One, you're incredibly self-aware and, and, and that's the reason I, I wanted to probe a little bit more on that. And the other thing that um, I think maybe you're being, you're, you're being humble, but I'd say part of your DNA, like there's this overwhelming feeling of that you're just a very calm and warm hearted individual. Like where, did, where is all of that coming from before, before all the career and all of that? I mean, cause it, it seems to be the consistent and you can feel that in the writing of your new book as well. 
Well, um, thank you. And, uh, and I think I, um, I mean, I think another, I guess, I guess what, what, what I would say is, um, you know, I try to be, I try to be, uh, always seeking empathy. Um, I, I, some of the lessons I've learned the hard way as a builder of products is that whenever I was building something out of my passion for a solution, as opposed to my empathy with the people suffering the problem, um, you know, that's when things went wrong. Hmm. And so I always try to reground myself with empathy with the people that are suffering the problem I'm trying to solve. And that's hard because as a creative person, you do get passionate about a solution. You kind of, in your mind's eye, you see the way the world should be. You get carried away with it. And you can end up building something that's 30 degrees off or more of what people actually need. And um, and I think you have to do the same thing in your in your personal life. We, we get a construct of what um, people need or are thinking. You know, we make snap judgments um, of people around us. And uh, as we do those sorts of things, um, you know, I used to think that being able to quickly judge people was a skill. Now I've come to believe that it's laziness. Hmm, and, interesting. Uh, and, and I, you know, I think that, you know, empathy is a big part of it. How do you, how do you keep that? You know, as a, a lot of people, as they get more mature in their careers, they start talking about pattern recognition and being able to have a sixth sense and having gut feels about people and things and situations and, I don't know. I, I think that uh, I think that any of those things that are ultimately an excuse to not spend the time and do the work to seek empathy are, you know, ultimately laziness and start to take you off your game as opposed to letting you do your game more efficiently. So has it been? Has it purely been a like an evolution on your side, just going through through life in general, personally and professionally, or were was there a, a, a turning point at one point where you're like, you know what? something came out and that was obvious. Um, and you, you kind of shifted your mind on that, on that topic or event, I should say. I think it's a progression. I think that you just kind of learn, you know, as you're, um, as you're going and you determine kind of what worked and what didn't and triangulate. I, I think one thing I've always tried to do is when things don't go the way I want, uh, I really try to look at myself and say what I could do differently. And I think we all are tempted to look around us and find out what about the situation, the timing, the people, the forces out of our control contributed to things not working out. And I find that energy somewhat pointless because those are things that were out of your control to begin with. And so it's always a question of what could I have done better? And, um, you know, and to me, that's like what you actually can that's the only attempt at squeezing out some value from a negative situation is like trying to understand something you could have done differently. Um, and I think that doing that, you know, over the course of you know, many, many experiences in life, you start to learn, hopefully. You start developing that muscle, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think it, it's so key though, because I feel even myself, it, 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 I mean, I'm in this, this space, um, you know, a hundred percent. So it, I'm surrounded by conversations like this, which makes it a bit, a bit easier, but I, I feel in community or in society in general, we're, we're so easily on autopilot that it's hard to even slow down enough to even come back to that reflection, right. And ask yourself that question um, because you're, you're onto the next thing or you've got your goals or what projects are shipping, like whatever it is, but we're, 
surrounded, we're set up in that space. So we ha- you have to actively take some time to, to, to pull back, right? Take that 35,000 foot view and, and just reflect a little bit. You do. And, um, but I guess if you, if you, if you truly believe that that's part of the value you're getting and, you know, and you, I, I always felt like feedback is like an alternative form of compensation. Uh, if you're not getting the sense of what you could have done differently or better, you're literally like leaving compensation on the table. Now it's long-term reward, it's long-term benefit, but it's, you know, it's like, how could you not, you know, it's, how could you not take that and run with it? Um, So I, I, I'm super, you know, I want to selfishly like always get it out of every situation. That's a good, I like that perspective. I've never, I've never heard it um, voiced in, in, in that way. That's, that's smart. It's a, it's a different approach. I like that. Um, I have to talk, uh, we'll, we, we can dive into the book because I think, I mean, the book really encompasses uh, a lot about what, what we're trying to get across in these conversations. And it's, it, it's really, again, um, exposing an area, uh, and this will all be in the show notes, but it's called The Messy Middle, and it's exposing an area that a lot of people don't talk about, right? And a lot of that, again, coming through the book from when I was reading it, there's there seems to be a lot of self-reflection uh, happening there, and there's a lot of almost mind tricks that that you have to deploy to to survive the journey right or or keep mm-hmm. pushing forward uh one interesting point just because uh, I think this book started from you looking at screenshots and photos on your on your phone when you're you know at different points in uh in your career um that stimulated those those thoughts right of of those moments and every anyone listening that's in that 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 section right now in their life and and I I include myself in that cuz I was literally screenshotting the Kindle of your book and sending it to my partner <laughs> which is quite ironic you know understands uh that journey but why don't you why don't you provide a bit of perspective on uh why you felt the need to get this book out there in the world well, you know, I look back to most of the projects um, in my life that I'm most proud of. They were all born from a sense of frustration. Uh, Behance, which was my uh, first company started in 2005, was a frustration with how disorganized my friends in the creative world were and how dis- disorganized the creative world was in general. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, I would say that this latest project with the messy middle was also born out of frustration. In this case, it was a frustration with the society's obsession with the starts and finishes of everything. Yeah. We love we love talking about things that can be summarized, and we tend to overlook things that are too dynamic. And um, and the 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 middle of stories, there's nothing pretty about them. Um, usually, we like to you know, when people talk, talk to me about my own story. I'll say, oh yeah, you know, started a company and we were bootstrapped for five years, venture backed for almost two years acquired by Adobe, three years integrating the team, and I'll like put a bow on it. And it's like, well, what does that actually tell you? What Five years of bootstrapping, always three to six months away from running out of money in, through 2008 and the kind of momentary blip in you know, the economy there. And it's like, how did you keep the team together? How did you, there's so many questions that that prompts, but no one ever talks about those sorts of periods in their lives. And, uh, and I just was frustrated by that because I think that every creative journey and entrepreneurial journey has, uh, has a real messy middle that is uh, extraordinarily volatile. And, um, and there's so much to be mined from this, you know, this volatility. Uh, 
And I think that there's a lot of people, you know, a lot of people need to recognize in the sense that, you know, they're not their best at the lows when they make decisions out of fear. And they're not their best at their highs when they start to falsely attribute the things that they did to the things that work um, and start to you know, have an ego and, and start to believe that you know something that you don't really. So I just wanted to illuminate that period of the messy middle. And, and that's really what this project is all about. I love it. I mean, there, there's there's so even just what you just said there, there's there's so many nuggets uh, like the highs and lows, that that alone personally, I've I've been using for the last few weeks, just to recognize right when you're when you're in them and what type of work or what type of decisions you're you're making. Because again, you can easily just keep plowing through and not not realize right that you know maybe I shouldn't be making that decision in this current state of mind. Um, so that's super powerful, really powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the other interesting thing, like I think you know, when you talk about five years, what, what I find neat is, and I think we all do this, it's like five years almost feels like, or you, you almost speak of it as five minutes, right? And like five years is a long time. And, and I'm curious, you know, when did you, when, when you're running Behance, like when did you realize that, oh, this is, this is more, this is going to be more than a, you know, of one month or sorry, not one month, a one year project or two year project. And that, you know, we're in this now, like there is a shift, right? I, I feel like there has to be a shift because I, I feel like we're in that shift right now. And we're two years into Keo. So we're, we're definitely in the middle. Um, but was there a moment for you that you realized, okay, this is, this is longer than what I probably initially expected. Well, I always believed that this was going to be a multi-year journey. And, um, and I never really was thinking about the end. Um, in fact, my co-founder Matthias and I, years into it, realized at one point when we were thinking about raising external financing, maybe four years into it, that we had never actually talked about what we want to have as an end. We just we believed that this was our lifestyle business. We just wanted this to be something to continue to do in the world, and we loved what we did. So. Mm. Um, it was, uh, you know, we never thought it was going to be a short project. We always thought it was going to be long. We just figured we were going to keep working and triangulating. And the way the business was constructed, we were building um, the business based on revenue from many different product lines to just get to break even. And uh, and we just were not, you know, we're, we were not thinking about it as a traditional startup. We weren't thinking like, oh, okay, we'll give it this long. And if you don't get product market fit, we'll try something else. It just wasn't the mentality that we had. And uh, not to say that that's a bad mentality to have. It's just you know, not where not where we were at. Yeah, yeah. But so what's what sparked that? Because that, I mean, you're 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 you could have gone so many different paths, right? In terms of uh, like your education, some of your work experience before um, starting this company. Like what 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 sparked that that mindset? That because that's it's hard, right? Like it's it's it. I think that's what the middle shows a lot of people it's a it's probably where the most magic lies but also it's it's for sure incredibly difficult and it's it's almost a matter of survival while you're while you're going through that so where did that where did that mindset come from um from the beginning yeah i i uh i think part of it was that i wanted to you know i loved working with my team and there was just like a team and a culture that I was in that just felt very comfortable to me. And so when I would think about the, the, the fears I had of, will this ever work out? And will I ever have a big enough salary to really support myself? And 
Yeah. And, um, you know, I just kind of go back to the fact of, well, you know, I have a great team and we're doing something important. And on a daily basis, I feel like we're adding value to customers. And, you know, and I always tell myself this could play out in these five different ways, you know, and some of those five ways were really um, exciting from a, you know, success standpoint. And some of them were like, well, you know, if this doesn't work, we'll at least learn this. We'll become more qualified in this. We'll have more opportunities to do this. And I was always kind of in my head, you know, playing out these scenarios that I felt were um, in backup plans. And I would also merchandise some of those plans to my team, too. I was always kind of trying to play out for the team. Well, you know, if it doesn't go this way, then it will go that way. And, and I think that was like a very helpful, you know, way of us kind of keeping the team together. Um, yeah. I talk in the book about the importance of being the narrator of the journey. And I use the analogy of it's like taking a 10 day road trip when the window's blocked out and you're the driver and everyone, your team in the back seat doesn't even know where they are, what state lines they're crossing or whether they're sitting on the highway in traffic or making any progress. And it's the, it's the progress that you narrate that is the, is the motivator of future progress. And this notion that progress begets progress. I talk about a professor at um, Harvard Business School, Teresa Mabale, who did this big study around journaling and companies and found that ultimately it was progress that was the greatest motivator of people for people to make more progress. And so you have to be the narrator of that journey throughout. Um, otherwise, you know, people will have those doubts and have a hard time sticking with it. It's so true. So true. And you talk a lot about, I, I love the, the, the language you use of, of merchandising perspective and like the wins and, and turning some of the lows and flipping them around. Like where, where did that concept come from? So it's, it's the first time I've heard someone speak of it in, in that language. Well, I think that in the, uh, in the days of Behance, I was always, um, I always like try to be very creative in how I was showing and demonstrating to the team that we were making progress because if you're bootstrapping for five years, uh, and you don't have like of the traditional rewards, you know, you don't have much to celebrate or show your team in terms of financial rewards or other things. Cause then you're building something that takes years. You just have to have another form of reward system. And so I started to get very creative and how I would broadcast the progress we're making to the team and merchandise it. Like literally, I remember thinking about the notion of billboards and I was like, wow, you know, there's this huge multi-billion dollar industry of billboards um, that market products and services to all of us as we're driving around. Mm -hmm. And that's that the intention of this industry, and it works, is to get us to take action on something that we that we weren't prioritizing in our lives previously. And yet we're not using those same tools to get our teams to take action on things that we weren't prioritizing properly. Why not? Like if it's a, it's the same, we're all human beings. And so why not just use the same tactics? And so I would actually make our own version of billboards and mantras and three points, you know, that we wanted to think about this month and that month and 90 day goals. And I would find creative ways to merchandise them and re-merchandise them and keep them top of mind and celebrate progress. And all of those tactics I found were very effective in a um, startup environment where it was so easy to lose hope. And so I just think that's a very big you know, success factor. Absolutely. So do, do you have any examples, Scott, of, of what that would have looked like? You know, thinking back at like the core team, um, was it, you know, certain days during the week or things would come up and you, you, you'd, you'd print them out or like you said, for kind of internal billboards or just, just any examples that, that people can take from that? Yeah, well, I, I think there's some funny ones. You know, I, I've been a lifelong vegetarian and I 
on oh, yeah. um, the team that I would, uh, you know, meet, eat meat if we reached a certain milestone that I was like, oh, that's really far out. I'm not sure we're ever going to make that. Um, and lo and behold, like a year and a half later, I was, I was, I was eating meat at a Christmas dinner. Um, there were a lot of other funny ones. I mean, we didn't, Behance was a made up word and we didn't show up in Google. And so whenever people type in Behance, Google always said, do you mean enhance? Do you mean enhance? <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I was like, maybe one day we will no longer be a mistake. And, uh, and so, yeah, so like eventually like six months later or something, one of our engineers typed in Behance into Google and lo and behold, we were a legitimate result, which is super exciting. And then, uh, you know, and then like six months later, Beyonce became super popular. We lost our SEO <laughs> again and we had to start all over again. So amazing. True story. Um, so I think there were lots of things like that and, and, uh, and a whole series of other kind of internal ways that we just, you know, kept our team engaged. So you clearly, you know, spent a lot of, let's say mental power, just really keeping the team dialed in and like you said, you know, merchandising that opt that optimism and perspective and all of that. But for you personally, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think two years in you, you were on your honeymoon. Like you, so you, you were getting married, you had obviously, um, a, a spouse, like how is for you personally, what were some of the things that you were doing to stay motivated mentally, physically, and, and, and tap into some of your support system around you? Well, it was a lonely period. And, uh, and I think a lot of it was my own internal narrative too, which is that, uh, I always had this belief that if you, if you really pursue a labor of love, it will always pay off, just not how you expect it. And so, yeah, I just, that was like the thing I would repeat to myself over and over. It's just forget what everyone's saying, forget the doubts that you're getting from others. In fact, you have to learn to gain confidence from doubt um, if you're going to do something extraordinary. And also have some faith in the fact that if I am doing authentically what I believe is important, what I love doing, it's going to lead me somewhere. I just don't exactly know where. And, uh, and so when I start getting down or I start feeling isolated uh, or overwhelmed by the anonymity of starting something from scratch, you know, that, was a, that was a motivating force to me and it was somewhat of a faith that kept me moving. How do you describe, because I, I totally res resonate with what you're saying, but I I've personally have had a hard time describing that feeling of, of just knowing like this this is the right thing that, that I'm doing personally. And, and it sounds like you're, you're saying the same thing. Like, how would you describe that if someone is questioning or wondering, um, am I on that right path or are these doubts, you know, actually real, real doubts, you know, or the, like, should this be the time I, I put in the towel and there's, a, there's actually something else? Like how I'm trying to f figure out for, for others listening that, that are on that path that aren't maybe sure, um, to give them a little bit of perspective. Well, it's, it's one of the most common questions I get now as a, as an advisor and investor in many different companies, uh, which is, you know, how do I know whether I should stick with this or should I quit it? And uh, because there's a lot of walls you hit and a lot of self doubts and other doubts and cynicism and skepticism that you encounter along the way. And it's always a question of how do you reconcile that with your own ambitions and, and your own vision. And my answer is always simple. Uh, when you started this journey, you had a degree of conviction in what you were building and why. And there was a way you saw the world um, based on your intentions. 
And then you went out on this journey and you started to learn a lot from developing a product, working with customers or constituents that you were serving, getting feedback, learning more about the market, seeing what your competitors were doing. You learned, you gained all this data. And the question is, based on all you've learned, regardless of how well things are going or how much you're struggling, do you have as much, if not more, conviction in that end state than you had in the beginning, or do you have less? And if you have as much, if not more, then you're just in the messy middle, and this is normal, and it may be totally a hopeless situation, but if you still have that conviction, you just have to stick with it. It is par for the course. However, if you've lost your conviction, or a lot of it, based on what you've learned, if you're in that situation where you're saying to yourself, had I just known then what I know now, I would never have done this, then stop, like quit. In fact, pivot or do something entirely different. Life is short. And, uh, and, and if you don't have conviction, it very, very rarely ever works. Um, yeah. Because you just don't have the motivation and wherewithal to continue. And so it's a very important sort of self-test you have to do. Uh, and if you have a team, like engage your team in it as well. Uh, I think to me that's like a, the most important question to ask. That's a great, really, really great prompt. And I, I can I can totally see the the uh, the the thermostat on that, and see, seeing how that could could evolve based on you know exactly what you're saying, based on the, the your your conviction level. Now, thanks for sharing that. You know, so when I'm curious, this is a bit of a selfish question because I get this, uh, or I should say, our whole team gets this at this point, and, and we've moved past like that. Oh, this is a fun sexy idea into, okay, now we're actually trying to execute all of it. Right. And the question I get asked often is, you know, so how are things going? And, and that's a hard question to answer. I find in in this, in this state, cause it's like, I don't know, today it's going great, but in five minutes it might be going really, really bad. Right. And it's just up and down all the time. I, I think on average it's, it's, you know, things are going or on an upward slope, let's say, but I find that's a really tough question to answer uh, in in this stage. Did, did you did you have the same experience or any advice on, or how did you answer that? I, I guess is my question. Yeah, well, I mean, I like I like the idea of answering it honestly and and um, and saying that this is this is what I'm excited about, but this is what worries me. This is what yeah. concerns me, and you know, here's where we're at. Like, I just I really personally at least, resonate and relate most with um, leaders that are very straightforward and willing to be excited and market the parts of their business that they're excited about and also kind of lament or question um, the parts that they are up at night thinking about. And it's like a very healthy response. It's like this is, yeah, there are a few things that are working. Super excited about this. You know, we have a lot of conviction still in this area, but... We're still trying to figure this part out of our business. This part's clearly not working, and this is what we're trying. And, uh, you know, just lay it out. I, I think that's – that because then that's how you, uh, first of all, fortify the honesty with yourself. And it also is how, by being honest with people, they can then relate better to you and help you. Well, and I think the other part, and, and this, you know, goes into a whole other – topic that you know as a as a, an entire society we're we're in a bit of a crisis just mental health and i think there's there's so much benefit to a not just putting up a mask right and to your point only talking about 
oh, are these things are going well. We're excited. Uh, you know, we had this press release or something or we were written up like, cause you default to those things. Right. And you less often talk about, wow, we're, you know, we're one week away from not making payroll this week or something like that. But let, but the simple act of just letting that out and, and, and being honest to your point with yourself and then also verbalizing that with someone else or whether you're journaling that or putting it on paper, however you're doing it, I think is really powerful, right? And, and it's, it's just, again, helping. It's just like going to the gym. I mean, it's constant mental exercise to yeah. help you through, right, that process. And, you know, I, I always think about it as cognitive load. You know, if you are, if you're holding around and carrying around something that's not truthful, it's weighing on you. And, uh, and that cognitive load gets in the way of you having better judgment and making great decisions. And if you are able to have some people in your life uh, or some processes in your life where you are very, are able to be especially honest with yourself and, you're able to face things and say them the way they really are, then that releases that load and it frees you up, it frees up your mental capacity to crunch other things, other problems, other opportunities. And, and that's why I think that the more truthful you are, the more available um, you, you become to the opportunity before you. And at times in my life where I felt kind of, you know, uh, least secure, you know, or had the most self-doubt and, become consumed by that or the parts of my life where I felt like I've been able to not perform as well as I could have. And so it's, you know, we always have to be kind of seeking that truth and finding constructs in which we can be completely honest. Yeah. So let, let's dive in a little bit to some of your practices then. I know uh, you've got a, a few fun and quirky uh, things that you do specifically when you're writing uh, some snacks and music, things like that. But then I'd love to start more so though when when you're challenged um, day by day or or going back to that cognitive load, like what in your routine or daily function, let's say, is is just a non-negotiable for to release some of that cognitive load? Um, ways to release it. Yeah, I, I guess, uh, you know, the question is really what type of practices uh, have you adopted in your life to help with, with that cognitive load? Yeah, well, to me, it's more of a discipline of just knowing what is in and out of my control, you know, challenging how I spend my time in my day, you know, looking at my calendar on a weekly basis and auditing myself and saying, did I spend my time on things that can move the ball forward or did I spend my time doing favors doing things that are asked of me that aren't the things that are ultimately moving my, my like most important, you know, objectives forward. And, uh, and sometimes it's kind of starkly apparent that you're not spending your time you know, the way you want to make an impact in this world. And that's, you know, that's an important sort of, uh, realization and check to have, uh, on a frequent basis because we are so easily, you know, sucked up by whatever people are asking of us or things that we think are important, but aren't, uh, you know, actually aren't. Sure. But I think, you know, even, even stepping, stepping back before, before that process, like, and this is just coming from some of the research, like I know you, you, you take plain time, for example, 
if there's if there's something bothering you, uh, you'll release it. Uh, you'll think about it, or I think you have an Evernote um, set up that you know has a list of, of different things that are that are brewing. And depending on where they are, then you'll you'll really spend some time releasing that or thinking about it. Right. So I'm wondering because the reason I ask that because I feel like. Um, it, it's those type of practices that again train your mind to be able to see when you're actually sp- spending time in the wrong place, or you know, being able to see a lot of those triggers come up. So I, I'd love to know some of those kind of core mental fitness practices that have helped you throughout your life. Yeah, I think the um, I think part of it is you know, part of compartmentalizing is having ways to manage things that you're anxious about without having to keep them in the top of your mind. So I'm a relentless capture, you know, try to write things down and forget about them as opposed to keep them in mind and agonize over them. Okay. And, and how uh, are you doing that? Yeah. I'm just using like tools, like whether it's Evernote or Wonderlist or, or, or paper products that, you know, I can use to sure. track and catalog and that kind of thing. And, uh, and it's part of it also, as you have a team that starts to grow, is delegating and knowing that certain, uh, there's a type of work that we do called insecurity work, as I like to call it, which is stuff that doesn't move the ball forward in any way, but just makes us feel better about where we're going. Okay. And, uh, and so it's like looking at Twitter for app mentions, looking at analytics to see how many people are coming to your website, looking at sales stats, how many people bought something in the last hour or in the last day. And you can keep doing these reflexive inquiries over and over and over and never actually move the ball forward in any particular way. And so you shouldn't do them. You should delegate them to somebody else and tell that person to let you know if something's off so you can free your mental capacity. Or if you're working on your own, you should do them, but only in a certain window once a week. You just get all of your insecurity work out in one hour. Um, But these are the types of little tricks and methods that we have to employ. Otherwise, we're going to spend all of our lives, you know, doing work that doesn't, in fact, make an impact in what's most important to us. Yeah. It, it makes me think I I had Jake, uh, Jake Knapp, um, and uh, I've been chatting with his partner as well. Uh, they have the, the Sprint book and working at Google Ventures and whatnot. Um, they, they talk about it as, as infinity pools. Mm-hmm. Right. And it, it makes me think the way you, you said, like, cause you can, you could look at analytics forever, for example. So it's, it's just, again, right. having that, that muscle to, to pull out of the infinity pool and the endless scroll of whatever you're looking at to actually be able to do some, um, some good work or some, or some deep work. Right. Um, on that level, actually, uh, for for deep work, because you've, you've talked about this before and, and I'd love to share this with our audience, but you, you do have, some interesting practices there, right? I think I think you brought this up in your interview with Tim Ferriss, but you know the special snacks or the the very specific playlists just for that type of work. Uh, just two questions, you know: a what 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 are there? Just just describe those if you don't mind. And why did you stick with that, or like how did that come about? Well, I think it was just a it was sort of back to kind of the games we play with ourselves to keep ourselves engaged and. Uh, when there's no long-term rewards for something in, in mind, how do you have like short-term rewards to, to just keep yourself engaged with a very long-term project? And um, so I've always tried to have like my own you know, music playlist I can only listen to while I'm writing because I find writing so painful sometimes okay. or uh, certain, you know, 
that kind of thing. I mean, I think we all kind of play games with ourselves and I just think it's something that it's, it's, it's an important thing to do. The reason why it came up in, uh, in that interview is just because I think everyone looks at writers or artists or business leaders and think that they just can easily use their time wisely and continue to do the things that are hard. And sometimes you actually have to trick yourself into doing them. <laughs> totally. Right. So, are there any um, are there any other examples of that that you've that you use on a, on a frequent basis that you didn't mention in, in that interview? Well, I, I think that there are um, there are I, 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 there's little kind of sort of I don't know if they're really tricks or not, but things that I'll say with for myself or with my team, like making sure we get two pebbles in one boulder done, you know, in any, any, in any like period of time. And what I mean by that is, you know, it's easy to focus on like very low hanging fruit tasks that are quick, that make us feel productive by checking boxes. Mm -hmm. But the boulders are oftentimes the longer, more chunky projects that get ignored because they're not so easy to check off. And so, you know, let's make sure we get one boulder for every X number of uh, pebbles. Um, There, I think there's lots of little mental kind of gymnastics, types of things that I do to make sure that I'm pushing forward progress, not only in the easy ways, but also in the hard ways. And, um, yeah, I'm sure there are lots of other little ones I make up on the way, but that's sure. one that comes to mind. I love the word mental gymnastics. That's uh, that's a great way to speak of this. That's totally what it is. Right. Sure. Um, one question just on, on, on some of those, those, little tips or practices, or again, uh, you know, when you're on the planes and stuff like that, and you're, you're taking some time to reflect, like you're, you're just back from Tokyo. So uh, let's, let's talk about like, so you're out of your regular routine, let's just say, and you're also, uh, on a book tour. So there's, there's been a lot going on and where I'm going, going with this is when you're out of the regular routine, is there, are there one or two things that you have to have happen in the day for you personally, whether that's exercise or any type of mental activity? Like what are those non-negotiables in your life? Um, you know, it's funny. Like I don't really try to get too married to any routine. Okay. Um, because I, I, every, every week is so different for me and, you know, I have a lot of different projects in the air. You know, I, I have time with the book stuff, I have my full-time job leading, you know, a very large team building products at Adobe. And, uh, and I have my, also my investor, um, responsibilities and, you know, energy spent there. And so I actually, you know, I like having every day be different. Um, and I, I always though use that, uh, proactive kind of measure of the, the calendar as the measure of my values and where I'm actually spending my time because, it's easy for us to just go wherever the whims are pulling us. Um, sure. But what the, what's really challenging is to say, like, did this move the ball forward? And, you know, retroactively, do I think that I spent this week in a way that I'm proud? And just, you got to do that. Yeah. Well, and one thing I wanted to ask is I'm, I'm a dad uh, as well. And so is, so is the co-founder of Keo. And uh, I know you, you have two kids, right? Yeah. Yeah. I have actually no three kids. Three kids. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, congratulations. Um, so three kids. Um, and if, if I start doing the math a bit with, with, uh, and and everything that was going on at that time and when you were getting married and whatnot, like 
it's not that because the, the typical scene you, you hear is like, oh, you, you, these startups or these companies getting going and it's, it's just it's just kids in university in dorm rooms cranking it away, right? Eating pizza nonstop, um, which that's one scene. But then there's a whole other scene that I feel like is not talked about that much. And it's people at a different age group with families and are also able to build, you know, great companies and in great teams. So I, my question to you is like, how has... How has that process helped you um, build these companies and anything that you you struggled with going through that, that you can provide some help for others that may be in that same situation? Well, the funny thing is that the busier you are, the more productive you become. And, uh, and I think that for the people that I think are most productive and efficient that I respect the most, like that's always the case with them. And so as you become a parent, as you become more responsible for more people, and uh, more projects, you just become like ruthlessly more efficient with your time. And uh, and I think back to the early days of Behance when I would be working till two in the morning and weekends, whatever else. But I, there was a lot of just like sitting around or doing things in a very inefficient capacity because I didn't have to be more efficient. Yeah. Uh, and now, of course, you know, that is uh, very different. So I, I think it's as simple as that. I mean, it's... It, I, I've seen a lot of great companies started by people much older, and and there's actually data to suggest that um, that a lot of the best companies are started by people in their 40s. So, and I, presumably, then a lot of those people have families and other responsibilities. Yeah, that's interesting. I think I, I just saw a stat. Uh, it was Scooter Scooter Braun and, and Gary Vee had a conversation on this. I think specifically tech companies. Actually, I think he had said um, some of the most successful tech companies were started people in their in their late 40s yeah which yep. you so, right <laughs> not, it's not part of the narrative of silicon valley like and working yeah. in dorm rooms and whatever but it's i think it's part of the truth yeah absolutely all right i want to respect your time so i'm going to start wrapping this up um i definitely need to get and you've provided some awesome prompts along the way so we can recycle some of those but if you think about your journey and what's important to you in your life like have there been three, let's just keep it the three reflective prompts that you feel like you've been asking yourself on a frequent basis or during big life-changing events that you could leave with us? Hmm. Well, um, you know, certainly one of those things is with everything that I do and say, you know, is this moving the ball forwards um, or not? Because if it's not moving the ball forward, it's either you're commentating as opposed to content making, which in fact does add noise to the equation, which does ultimately move the ball back. Um, or it's, 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 or it's um, counterproductive, which certainly moves the ball back. And I think that there's a lot of things that we say or do out of nervous energy or insecurity or whatever else. And I, I'm always asking myself, and I try to be increasingly you know, uh, more thoughtful about this over the course of my time in any role, is this moving the ball forward or not? You know, and why? Yeah. Um, I also, I, I also, um, you know, I would say, I, I would say, uh, you know, just always kind of going back to that, like truthful, the truthfulness point. Um, it's, I think it's very important to be a marketer of the things that you're doing. And by the way, like the strengths that you have, no one will notice necessarily unless you show them and showcase them in some way. So marketing is in fact a good thing and you should overcome the stigma of self-marketing, but also recognize where it becomes promotion. 
like over promotion at the at the expense of truth. Yeah, uh, that's a fine you, balance. Yeah. Yeah, and you want to you want to say like say what's going right and what's not going right. Be comfortable being honest about that. Um, yet at the same time, like don't shy away from showcasing the things that are really truly working that you're really proud of because those are things you should be proud of. Yeah. How would you formulate that into a question, Scott? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, Am I being honest you know, with myself? Yeah, is this, is, is, is this how I really feel? Um, you know, is what I'm saying, um, is what I'm saying really what's happening or not? Yeah. Uh, and I think that, or am I saying this because I want to make this look better than it is? Um, okay. And I think that you need to kind of ask yourself that question sometimes. Awesome. Do you have one more? Oh, I mean, I think those are, those are the two that kind of come to mind. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a, well, I mean, I guess one other thing is uh, I'm always trying to ask myself how I can, how I can not just improve like the products or the things that I'm making, but also improve the, the thing that I, the way that I'm working. And uh, I call it kind of A-B testing, how you do what you do every day. And so it's always a question of what am I, what, what, what is something that I, what is a way that I work that is working that I'm proud of that should be ultimately optimized because we sometimes think that, you know, don't fix things that aren't broken, but in fact, like actually optimizing something that you're proud of, that is the way that you work as a competitive advantage is actually the most important thing you should be doing. And so I'm, I'm, I am also asking myself oftentimes, like, how can I, you know, what, what's one practice or way of doing things that I'm going to just tweak and try differently and revert to the previous version or adopt as a new way? Oh, that's super practical. Well, th thank you for sharing those. And um, like I said, there's also a ton of awesome prompts that you left uh, just in conversation, which is the whole point of of this podcast, right? And and we talked a little bit before hitting record on why Keo started. And it's, it's exactly for that reason. It's that, you know, people are providing great prompts you know, with context and hopefully for whoever listening at the right time for when they need that in their life, right? So, um. I want to thank you for, for, for taking time, uh, being super jet lag. I can only imagine coming back <laughs> the last couple of days. I, I just saw it on Instagram, like, Oh shoot. I mean, we've got a podcast that might be a bit challenging, yeah, no, <laughs> but okay. you were dialed in. So thank you. And, and honestly, our whole team's gone through the book at, at this point. And, uh, so this is a personal thank you. And, uh, and I can imagine coming from many other people that are listening, but th thanks for just, taking the time to put this together because I, I really think that we're in a very dangerous mode right now where how entrepreneurship and just building companies uh, is just so glorified right at that very beginning point and, and at the end. And we, we need to be talking about this middle because it's, it's literally uh, can, can take people's lives. Right. So, 100%. you know, on that front, a massive thank you uh, from all of us for, for putting in the time and effort to, to do this. Thank you so much. It really is a pleasure and honor. And, uh, I'm excited about getting the word out. Have yourself a great day. Thank you. You too.